Enjoy the future, folks. Here it is right now. Pedersen, Besser, and Hughes. It's Besser with Pedersen. Pedersen shoots, scores! Elias Pedersen, first career hat-trick overtime winner. Quinn Hughes makes a quick dash down the near side. Takes the puck behind the net, banks it to himself. Out the near side, Hughes shoots, stopped by Quick. Rebound, they score! Brock Besser! as well because Quinn Hughes has his first point in the NHL but it was all set up by the dynamic play of number 43 in blue everybody and welcome into Canucks and Pucks. I'm your host Matthew Zader and we have a great show for you today. I had some great conversations with uh, first of all Area 51 uh, Hockey's Malcolm and Sean. Uh, they were great great to get for me especially with how good their podcast is doing right now um, and really happy that they took some time out of their busy schedules to come on the podcast. Had some great conversation about the Brock Besser trade rumors. Got a little heated there with um, with the debating about if they should think of trading him and what the cap, next cap crunch will be in the, uh, in the future as well. So had some great talk about uh, about that stuff. And then I had, uh, very happy to have Rob, uh, who's everyone knows from Twitter as uh, Fan2Abby. Uh, he watches a lot of the games that we can't watch. A lot of people can't watch this so early in the morning. There's some great analysis on Twitter updates on uh, the different uh, things that are going on with the prospects over in Europe and and very happy to have him on the show. He had some great insights on the different prospects, uh, Hoglander, Puttfolzin and, and everyone there. So uh, some great talking with him. And then finally, I talked with uh, Pete Bauer from Hockey Writers, which is another great conversation. A lot to say about the return to play with the NHL and the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets and stuff like that and we looked at the betting odds for the different series over in the East and uh, yeah, it was a great great stuff there. Uh, weren't able to get uh, Eddie from Hockey Writers but don't worry he'll be he'll be on the show next week. Uh, we'll talk to him about the draft uh, different uh, his top five picks and uh, we'll be happy to have him on the show uh, next week. Um, so if uh, there's I mean, there's a lot to talk about in the Canucks, Canucks world right now. Uh, since the last episode, Brock Besser, the trade rumors have started. And um, a lot of talk on Twitter about that. Uh, some heated exchanges. And then uh, talk about Jack Rathbone uh, and his his signing window opening in the next, uh, you know, from Monday tomorrow and uh, starting at 9 a.m. Until Wednesday, we'll see if he signs with the Canucks in that window. Don't worry, I mean, if he doesn't sign, it's not the end of the world. But it will be nice to kind of get him locked up. He's a very, a very skilled young defenseman for the Canucks. And uh, I talked about him in the article that was released today on the Hockey Writers. I uh, talked a bit about his history, what he did, uh, how he played at Harvard, and uh, what he's done in the last two years to really put himself on the forefront with uh, defense. Uh, with the Canucks on uh, the prospect end. Very young, skilled defenseman that could really help the Canucks now um, and in the future because he's going to be a really good uh, good guy on the blue line. Uh, fourth round pick, so he's actually, you know, not wasn't expected to be a top, you know, prime, in his prime top four defenseman, but 
It looks like he's has well on his way to becoming that. Hopefully the Canucks can get him locked down and he's in the lineup at least by in the next couple seasons. So very excited to have uh, have him coming up. And uh, yeah, so that's I mean the Canucks are going to be playing the Minnesota Wild on August second. Now that uh, the return to play has been finalized, and that'll be the game one in the five-game series. We'll see how it all goes down because, I mean, it really is up in the air of what they would be able, how they are going to play because, I mean, everyone's on the same page. There's some players that have opted out. Sven Berti with the Canucks, uh, he's decided to not come to training camp and just stay on the sidelines. And he probably has played his last game in the Canucks uniform, so we wish him well. Uh, he was a pretty good uh, forward for the Canucks when he was here. And hopefully that Benning can get something done with him. He can go to another team and restart his NHL career because he's still as young and he still has some left in the tank as as a, you know, a potential top nine forward on a team. So I hope that they can get something done with him. So it's very exciting that the Canucks are coming back with pretty much a full complement of players. There's going to be a lot of line combinations that are going to be interesting to see as uh, as we go through training camp it starts tomorrow so there's gonna be a lot to talk about uh, by next week's podcast so we'll talk uh, a bit about the training camp matchups what's happened during the week uh, we'll have a lot to talk about with the guests that I'll have um, they're still up in the air of who I'm gonna be getting but uh, we'll s- there will be definitely some guests on the show Eddie will be one of them and uh, we'll get to the episode in a few minutes and uh, enjoy the great conversations we have coming up here. Yeah, welcome back to Canucks and Pucks. I'm uh, your host, Matthew Zader, and uh, I'm very happy to be joined by two members of uh, Area 51 Hockey. Very excited to have them on the show, uh, Malcolm and Sean. Uh, uh, very happy to have you both on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, uh, yeah, well, I mean, yesterday was a pretty big thing with um, with Brock Besser getting uh, in the trade rumors. I'm not sure if it's a huge, huge thing coming out of Vancouver or if it's just one uh, Matt Sekrash kind of uh, stirring up some stuff, but uh, we'll start with that. Uh, how do you guys both think about Brock Besser potentially being on the trade block? We'll let Malcolm answer that one first because I'm pretty passionate about that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and it wasn't just Sakaris because, of course, it's Rick Dollywall actually tweeting a Sakaris quote. So, oh, yes, I think yeah. Especially in, in the Vancouver market, Rick's word carries a lot of weight here. Uh, so I'm, I'm inclined to believe him that if there's some smoke that there, that there is some fire. And, you know, to me, I, I have two schools of thought of it. Obviously, Brock Besser is a special hockey player for us. I put him as the third most important player on our franchise currently only behind PD and Hughes. Uh, you know, there is some question marks though with him, with the injury history uh, and just, you know, some consistency things. So, you know, I, I love the opinion that, you know, depending upon the trade, I would explore that option because I'm one of the guys who's been out here trumpeting about how badly we need to improve our defense. So if we're able to get a Brock Besser type equivalent player, meaning on a good contract, 23 years or older who fits that right-handed top defensive role for us. 
I'm interested in exploring that option. Now, do I think we'll be able to get that player for Brock Besser this summer? I have some doubts. You know, he's his, you know, we're not selling obviously at his highest possible point. He did have a bit of a down year, you know, had, you know, finished essentially with some injuries. So do I think that this is the right time to sell Brock Besser? No, I don't. So that's kind of where I'm of the, uh, this seems a little bit nerve wracking to me because of course, you know, we have this pending cap crunch, cap hell, whatever you want to call it coming. And if what management's decided to do to get us out of this, to re-sign, you know, 30, about to be 31-year-old Jacob Markstrom, to bring back Chris Tanov, if that's how they think that they're solving the D, uh, and essentially that that is their great idea about how to solve this cap crunch, then boy, do I have major reservations and, you know, you'll know where to catch me uh, the day that that trade happens if it's a, a less than satisfactory, you know, Tyler Sagan for Louis Erickson and a bunch of pick, uh, you know, type trade. I think that would be an absolute disaster for us. And, you know, if, if people aren't already calling for Benning's head, that people will start calling for it, you know, even people who have been traditionally defending him uh, shortly after that. So I think that would be, you know, potentially an absolutely disastrous trade for him. So again, though, while if for some reason we're able to work out and, and get that top pairing right-handed defender, you know, I'll be all ears and I'll be applauding, you know, betting for making that hard decision because, you know, top pairing right defense is a far greater area of need for us than right wing is right now would allow us to bring Toffoli back, you know, give Vertanen another chance to develop into that role. And then again, bring Levo back. So, you know, to me, we do have the depth at right wing to make that kind of transaction. Again, my preference would be to look at trading Jake Vertanen and then potentially another asset to bring in, you know, again, appreciate not going to be that same caliber of D that Besser would bring, but even if it's a second pairing guy, you know, the, the idea of coupling Myers and trying to shelter his defensive woes with Quinn Hughes, so they're, you know, typically playing offensive minutes, that makes some sense to me. So I think there are some other creative things that you could do. So by no means is trading Besser the best option, I think, but, you know, depending upon the circumstances, I could see it working out. Mm-hmm. For me, I see, like, to me, this is an unmitigated disaster already, right? If, and, of course, people will uh, and have already said, well, this is a GM doing the GM's job. They have to explore options. Totally cool. I, I understand that. The problem that I have is that it is Brock Besser, the guy that just two seasons ago you paraded out as the beginning of this new wave of of a core, right? This new young core that was going to take the Canucks places. And we saw his incredible rookie season. Has he been the same exactly since then? No, but he's actually well-rounded or rounded out his game nicer in other areas as well. Uh, We haven't quite seen the shot since, but uh, he's become a a better playmaker. Uh, He's become uh, a better support player as well. Uh, To me, the, the fact that the team, Jim Penning and the management team has gone and loaded up on contracts that immediately were bad uh, and now put themselves in a position where you have a third of the cap that is tied up in bottom six players or guys like Tyler Myers uh, that aren't top tier defensemen. Uh, and now you're in a position where you feel that you need to explore options for this young core. 
at what point then do we do we sit down and say, okay, well, the pros are now being shopped around. The the benefits of this Benning era are now being uh, explored in trade options. Uh, how is that acceptable? I just don't understand how anybody can stand by now and say that that is an okay move. And I like Malcolm's point. Like, yes, if in the right situation somebody was to come along and offer a better player or a, a great option, um, maybe a top pairing right D uh, or like a McDavid, right? Like, of course, there's players out there that we would trade Brock Besser for, but I just don't see anybody trading those players for Brock Besser. We love Brock Besser, but he hasn't, like, there's so many things that can knock at his value. There's a flat cap. Uh, everybody knows that the Canucks are in a massive pinch and need to make some changes and moves in order to keep different players. And if we're looking at guys like Tyler Toffoli as, as a replacement for Besser, he's five years older and he's already not as good as Besser. <laughs> like Besser's already a better player than Toffoli. So if we're looking at older, weaker replacements, then this rebuild is not generated anywhere near what the hype has been for Benning up to this point. And that's my biggest concern with it. Of course, it's a rumor. It hasn't happened. But what else are we to talk about? We have, we have speculation to go off until it happens. And then it happens and everybody's like, oh, get over it. It happened. It's, it's done. Well, then when do we talk about things? You know, and, and right now is I would rather be somebody speaking out against something and hopefully it's a preventative measure that Canucks fans all rally around and say, no, we do not want Brock Besser to go. Then to now look back in hindsight and say, oh, that sucks. We had the good Branson trade. We had all these other trades and the Brock Besser trade. I don't want that to be one that we look back at. Like we were looking at a general manager that for overhauling the D has looked to guys like, good Branson and Pouliot. And that's the guy that we're now trusting to trade Brock Besser for a top tier D. I just don't trust that. I don't think that's a good idea at all. And I have, I forgive me for not uh, having any faith in that. I, uh, yeah, I was, I was thinking too. I mean, the, you're saying about the core that the, that Benny's trying to build. I mean, who's part of that core? I mean, I thought exactly. Besser was part of the core. So, I mean, you look at uh, Pedersen, Hughes, Besser is definitely part of that, Horvat. Um, I mean, you got to establish a new core going forward. And, you know, you remove Besser, who's now replacing, like you said, Toffoli. Toffoli's older. I mean, also, yeah. like you said. And, I mean, it's, yeah, it, it, I don't know. I, I put, I made, I created, um, I wrote an article for the Hockey Writers. Yes, actually, the day before this actually came out. And I'm like, I wrote it and I'm like, I don't want this to happen. But I mean, of the marketable players that the Canucks do have, if you do need to trade, I mean, unfortunately, Besser's going to be that guy. Um, I don't think that should happen at all. But that's the only way it should happen is if there is a mark, you know, return like, like you say, top 4D, a young top four. And like Malcolm said too, I mean, I don't think we're getting that guy now. Uh, especially with Besser, Besser's value. So, well, one of the things too that you touched on, like out of all the assets that we have, Brock Besser would be one of the better trade options to get the biggest piece back. But now, what does that say about 
the six years that we've had under Jim Benning, everybody's blamed Gillis for not having any assets to work with. Nothing in the cupboard. Everything's empty. We've had six years now of Jim Benning and our best assets to trade are guys that should be untouchable in our core. Mm -hmm. So how are we supposed to get better? Like what is, what is the goal here going forward? If we're, if we're now reallocating, like say, People are like, okay, we need to fix the blue line. We do. Absolutely. It's horrendous. Yeah. And right side or the right wing is definitely a, a currently a strength for us. But if we re-sign to Foley, we trade Besser, and now Jake Furtana is our second line right wing, well, our right side just got tremendously weaker. Yeah. And we might have a, an upgrade on the D in one, in one position. So have we actually gone further ahead? Have we actually made any progress and then as well like if you're trading brock besser and I, I i've seen some reports that are like oh if the canucks truly believed in brock besser or were sold on him they would have gave him a long-term deal no they didn't have the money to <laughs> so they bridge dealed him like that was the idea right like it wasn't that they weren't sold on him brock besser was the start of all of this if we're going to sit there and brag about three calder finalists in a row Guess who the first one was? It was Brock Besser. And if we're now trading that for somebody, like I don't even know who would be available. Dumba, maybe? Like mm. we're not even Ugh. getting a, a wash. Like we're we're a wash cap wise. So yeah. we're not making any progress there. We're just trading, we're making a hockey trade now. So how is that actually getting us out of the pickle that we're no, in? Right. It's not. No, and it's it's exactly this that, you know, again, I, I still am one of the guys who goes, you know, yeah, JT Miller has exceeded our wildest expectations. But in my opinion, that move was still a year premature. And I think, you know, talking about Brock Besser potentially being on the trade block is an example of that. Yeah. If we didn't have JT Miller on the books right now, we wouldn't be talking about the same cap crunch. And we wouldn't be talking about the same depth at forward that we currently do. And, you know, again, JT Miller, great player but I believe he's 26 about to turn 27 versus 23 year old Brock Besser about to turn 24. Those are some key years that a player is going to contribute. And we may end up being in a situation where if we're trading Brock Besser, we may be getting a first and a third back for him. Yeah. So in effect, what we've done is we've traded Brock Besser for JT Miller. Is that a yeah. good deal? I would suggest yeah. that it isn't depending upon how all those draft picks line up. And, and this is what I was talking about. It, this next year, the 2020-2021 season, was the year that we should have really started positioning our guns to line up. And instead of doing that, we're talking about, well, you know, given the flat cap, given all the unrestricted and restricted free agents that we have, we won't even be able to bring back the same team that we had this year. Several guys, Markstrom, Miller, you know, other guys had career years that we probably can't expect moving forward as well. So when you take the, you know, what we expect in progress from, you know, Pedersen and Hughes, and then, you know, subtract the, you know, regression to the mean that we've seen from guys like Miller and Markstrom, well, guess what? We're now going to be regressing next year. So in, an, in a year that we really should be talking about, okay, this is now our opportunity to start making some progress, to make the playoffs, hopefully make some noise when we make the playoffs. Cause to me, again, simply participating in the tournament doesn't help us any, mm -hmm. it's only winning games, winning series. That's this playoff. This is a elusive playoff experience that we talk about that it will actually help us win a cup showing up and getting our ass kicked for two weeks. Doesn't help anything at all. 
No. Well, and then I can even go a little bit further. The Toffoli trade is premature, right? Like everybody craps exactly. on Gillis for yeah. emptying the cupboards uh, and making a run. At least it was to actually win a Stanley Cup and not just go and try to make the playoffs. Yeah, yeah like, it was after yeah. two President's trophies. If you're emptying the cupboards to make the playoffs, like how good of a regime have you actually had? Yeah. Right? Like at some point you do have to turn the page and, and be a contender. Absolutely. We're all on board for that. We yeah. all want that to happen. We all want playoff games. But at what point, like we haven't gathered the assets over this rebuild to actually land that. We all want to yeah. skip the work and then jump straight to like, we've had ugly for six years. I get that we want that to be done. Absolutely. During we this all time, want that to be done. Right. Yeah. But we during this time yeah. that we've, sorry yeah. to interrupt you, but during yeah. this time that we've been rebuilding, we have still traded out more draft picks than we have acquired. I yeah. literally no, do not I know agree. how that is possible for a rebuilding team to continue to trade out draft picks and not acquire any and, yeah. and continue to let UFAs rot on the vine yeah. and walk to UFA and get nothing for them because you don't have the balls to trade a Jacob Markstrom <laughs> or any of these other players and Edler last year. And, you know, we can go on and on Dan yeah. Hamhuis, you know, there's, yeah. there's too many examples of missteps by this management group. And, you know, I'm at the point, and I think thankfully Sean's finally <laughs> getting to the point now with this Brett Besser news that we're throwing up our hands and saying, I simply don't understand how anyone with a rational hockey mind can have any faith in what Jim Benning and John Widesbrot are doing. Well, the thing is, is you look at the draft that's coming up here, we potentially may not have any picks till the third round. I mean, in a draft that's so deep in talent and we're supposed to be rebuilding yeah. and being a contender for a long time, we're not going to have a pick until the third round. Um, like 75th to 80th yeah. overall is what I we're mean, looking at right now. You may get a good player there. You're not going to get a guy that's going to really impact the lineup for a while. No, I mean, at least a couple three to seasons, five years, right? best case yeah. scenario. Yeah. Well, and that's so, the thing I mean, too, like – great point with the draft right like what better time to add somebody through the draft than right now right the, the cap is flat we have the expansion draft coming up where we're going to lose somebody for nothing and we can't even afford all the players that we currently have and we're not we might make the playoffs like what does that say like at some point you have to progress and get better for the future you have to have something to look forward to Anybody that thinks that this might this team might make a run is insane and hasn't looked beyond Minnesota. Minnesota is a better team than we are. Yeah. Right? They've had garbage goaltending, but they are much better up front and defensively than the Vancouver Canucks right now. Our one token is Jacob Markstrom, who's a free agent, somebody who we may not even be able to yeah. afford. And, like, so the next step would be what Colorado you're no, telling me geez. that this team might beat Colorado and that's worth mortgaging any potential future in order to might beat Colorado. Like of we those traded... four teams, uh, Colorado, yeah. no chance, no, no, Knights, no, way. no, no chance, way. blues, no chance. Dallas stars would be the only one maybe. And they are of course the fourth ranked team. So, so I don't even know even what would have what, to happen yeah. exactly for us to face them in that round. So I don't know. I don't know. Dallas hasn't been very kind to the Canucks in the past either. So it's true. And, and you're telling me that winning three games against Minnesota is the equivalent in experience 
that a guy like Lafreniere can bring. That's why I'm still, oh, geez. like I, I went into, well, or, or, yeah, oh. or we lose the lottery and we pick somewhere still, in the 10 to 12 range. You're still getting And that, that's still an yeah. incredible player. Yeah, that's like that's said, a, this draft you know, is traditionally so a top five pick, right? Yeah. And so that guy may be even be inserted into the lineup the next year, if not the year afterwards. And then we have guys like Hoglander, Pod Colson, and, you know, this fictional player, let's call him Lundell, yeah. who are all coming into the league when we should be looking into our prime years for Pedersen and Hughes. To me, that just makes so much sense. And that's, you know, a little yeah. plug for my yeah. game of takes here in, in Sportsnet <laughs> 650. I don't know how I'm losing this, even though I totally knew I was going to lose it. I don't know how, if you actually listen to our two takes, that I'm losing this. Because it just makes so much more sense to I obviously Lafreniere to me if it's if it's literally Lafreniere or the second round and you're picking you know the second round meaning the quarterfinals over Lafreniere I I I can't help you 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 don't understand <laughs> it, even though if it's the tenth overall pick versus again tenth overall is going to be a great pick only oh, great pick that, versus that again round. not picking until the third round. To me, it's an absolute slam dunk, no brainer. Mm. So, you know, I think fans just are too instinctive and, and too, you know, short sighted, and they want this win today, even though they they have to know at some point. I've got this one other podcast apparently in my mentions saying that we're going to win the cup. That they're completely delusional. We do not have the depth on defense. We we best case scenario, we're going out in the quarterfinals yeah. this year, and that results in no draft pick until the third round. Yeah. I simply don't know how you can honestly say that that's the best path forward for the Vancouver Canucks. And, and the thing like, is, is yeah, Markstrom sorry, may carry a team, carry the Canucks a couple rounds if he stands on his head. Um, or if like insane, you know, Pedersen goes on an insane run score. I mean, it's, it's, it's all this if and yeah. for the future that we want to see, we want to see the Canucks contending, not just for one year, but for like, you know, five, 10 years. And that's not happening by just trying to win now. Well, and I know like there's this thing about, oh, negative fans don't want the team to win. They're actively cheering. No, uh, like I'm not actively cheering against no, anybody. I no want way. the team to succeed. I'm looking at some fantastic players and Pedersen and Hughes and Besser and Horvat. And like, there's a great core here. And I want that yeah. to be built upon. I want that team to have great success for the next 15 years. Yeah, that's like, right. If I could choose whether to have 15 amazing years where at any point we could win the Stanley Cup, I would take that over, oh, we might make a, a Cinderella run this year. Yeah. Like, I don't even understand how that's a, a decision that needs to be made or a thought process. Like, as soon as the puck drops, of course, we'll be cheering for the Canucks, oh, right? Yeah. Like, of course, nobody's going to be like, oh man, go Zach Parise. Like, <laughs> like everybody's just wants to see the team do well, right? But what in the long run, if you, if you really stop to think about it, is best for the team in the long run? Is it and that's, three games worth yeah. of playoff experience? Or is it 15 years worth of playoff experience in a legitimate contention window? That's right. And that should be uh -huh. the GM and the owner who have that long-term view. And yeah. they're the logical, rational people. And then that should leave us, the fans, to the ones who are supposed to be cheering for today's win and, and want this instant gratification. Yeah. 
it seems like in this city, the roles have been reversed. And the owner and the GM are like, I want today's win. I want today's win. And it's the rational part of the fan base, because God knows there are those fans who are doing that too, that are sitting back and going, no, guys. <laughs> you know, we're being the parents in this relationship. And it's endlessly frustrating that we're the ones who have to go, guys, you have to think long term. You can't be so short-sighted. And they're going, but, you know, well, and it's not even playoff revenue this year. It, it, I, I, uh, honestly, I, I just honestly don't get am it. at a loss. I don't uh, understand it. I don't know. Like if, if the Canucks were to go on a run and I mean, and not win the cup in the end, like who does that benefit? It doesn't benefit no, Aquilini. Okay. Like it benefits some of the players because they get some experience, but we can't afford half them again anyways. So then they go off and we have like, <laughs> sure, we have Pedersen and Hughes gain some playoff experience, but both have it already in yeah. different leagues, right? No, it's true. Like, Pedersen is one in the SHL. Like, you, you're telling me that that kid's going to come into the playoffs and not know a, at all what to do? <laughs> like, he's lost now because he hasn't played a playoff game before? Like, no, he's going to be just fine. Like, he's, he's going to be great. And anybody that's like, oh, playoff experience is so important, they could go on a run this year. They don't have playoff experience coming into it. So how yeah. are they going to go for a run this year if playoff experience is so important? <laughs> like, it's a, it's a self-contradicting argument. And yeah. I just, I, like, to me, it's just baffling that there could be multiple mindsets on this. Like, obviously, everybody's going to have their opinion and everybody in a perfect world all agrees on the same path, especially Canucks management. And we all move forward in this great, happy path to the Stanley Cup. But that just never, ever happens. And so, like, when you look at the stuff with management, at least you want the management to all be on the same page, right? Yeah. And moving towards the same thing. We have seen them lose uh, Linden, Gilman, uh, Brackett, uh, Crawford, yeah. uh, all sorts of guys that were key parts of this regime, yeah. right? Uh, you want to talk about bending success? Bracket drafted three Calder <laughs> Trophy candidates in a row. That's awesome. Let's keep that going. Oh, no. We'll send Bracket to Minnesota now yeah. because we, we don't want to have him have any sort of say. It's all down to two people. Linden leaves. Like, all these type of people oh. leave. So we're not seeing any, any jiving there either. So how is the no. fan base going to feel? Of it's course, they're going to be divided. They're all great hockey minds, too. I mean, and it's just... Going back to when we had when the Canucks had Gillis leading at the charge, I mean, everyone there was mixed opinions on him too. But you can't, you know, argue the fact that he did put together a really good staff in his time, and then mm -hmm. half of them, or maybe ninety percent of them, are not part of the team anymore. Um, Lauren Henning was also a big. I don't know. I, I don't know when he left. I'm like, you know, this guy's really good too, and he's gone. Uh, Bracket now. Um, Gilman, I believe, was a huge loss, uh, especially within the cap world, the way he seemed to navigate that. Um, we just interviewed yeah. uh, Tony Gallagher this morning, um, and we got to talk a little bit about some past stuff. And uh, he, he mentioned Gilman specifically. Like, he went out of his way to mention, like, I can't believe they let this guy go. Like, we were talking about some others, but it was Gilman that he was like, this guy is an invaluable asset that would – be well worth every cent that you give him. Even if you stayed at home and you just called him periodically, <laughs> he'd be worthwhile. And they let that guy go. And yeah. so like, it's, it's frustrating. And I know like Benning, I'll be honest, Benning was the guy I wanted in Vancouver. 
And I wanted him because of his draft pedigree. He he was a scout. So I figured we bring him in. He ends up being uh, going through the draft and building everything through the draft exactly the way that we all wanted it to go. Right. We all wanted them to build through the draft. Uh, They've done that in part. They've definitely missed a lot um, as well. And I feel like that gets kind of brushed over because Pedersen and Hughes and Besser were great hits. Uh, But I mean, McCann was a big miss. Uh, Vertanen was a big miss. Yulevi was a big miss. Not having a first round pick this year, enormous Uh miss. Like, so there are misses as well. And I think, as long as you can kind of look at everything side by side and applaud the good, but also recognize the bad, it's important to in assessing whether the job being done is good or yeah. whether you have faith going into the future. And people like to say, oh, fans don't have a say. Media doesn't have a say. <laughs> yes, we do. Because we are <laughs> the clientele. We're the market that they're trying to appease, right? Yeah. Like you're telling me that the fan base that, echoed boos of and and fire gillis chance through the arena and eventually ended up with gillis losing his job doesn't have a say no that's just yeah it, i don't i don't buy that for a second no i mean and i knew this uh, segment was probably gonna be dominated by the Broncos. yeah <laughs> sorry if we derailed that a little bit for no you. problem it's a great <laughs> discussion i mean the thing is we kind of touched on all of the stuff anyway i mean we talked about the Minnesota Wild a bit there too. Uh, last thing I want to talk about is um, the future again is uh, Jack Rathbone who's been in the, the news a lot lately with um, Harvard not having that um, season start on time. Um, do you think that Rathbone will actually sign with the Canucks and what type of potential do you think he has with the, with the team? Uh, personally, I, I think Rathbone will be a Canuck. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's a blue chip prospect uh, or has become one um, great find out of Harvard has fantastic numbers through NCAA play uh, been able to play with guys like Adam Fox that are lighting up the league right now. Uh, to me, it would be an enormous miss to, to not have Rathbone or to have him uh, walk away next year or have to trade him. Canucks need D and they need cheap D and, Rathbone being somebody that can step in with the skill sets that he has potentially as early as next year and, and be serv- serviceable. Uh, that's, that's something that the Canucks can't miss on. They need that. And uh, like, I just don't really understand the thought of, of them trading him or letting him walk. Ideally. I mean, the relationship's there and it's good. And we see Rathbone. Um, he's, he's a great, great draft pick and would, an enormous asset for the blue line going forward yeah to me he's you know we will find out you know exactly where we are in that three-day window after the cba is ratified exactly where we stand with jack rathbone because if he doesn't sign which again i'm sure we will offer him a contract in that time if he doesn't sign there to me that's a a real you know five alarm flyer red flag uh you know, getting to burn a year off his uh, contract, essentially really not having a logical alternative. To me, if he doesn't sign with us, that is going to be really bad. And, you know, you, you will hear it on Twitter. Because, uh, you know, again, other than, other than him, 
in my opinion, we essentially don't have any legitimate other defensive prospects. I don't have any hope for Yolevi. Uh, I have little hope for Jet Wu, considering how the game's moving. Seems like he's a you know old school defenseman in a modern day game. Uh, you know, Rafferty's 24 already, so what we're seeing out of him is his you know probably as you know as much as we expect. So to me, he's maybe a, a slight upgrade on on Troy Stetcher, but that's about it. Uh, so, you know, uh, Breezebois, you know, maybe a, maybe a sixth defenseman at some point in his career, but nothing special. So I don't see any other defensive prospects and, you know, other than Quinn Hughes, any other young guys that are currently in our lineup either uh, that are going to step up. So we really need Jack Grafbone. Uh, and I think, again, you know, without actually knowing, assuming he doesn't sign with us in that period, assuming Harvard doesn't have a season – he is not only saying no to us, he's saying I'm willing to, you know, hold out a whole year from hockey essentially to take my, you know, to get that UFA right. So I would be highly suspect and suspicious that he does do that. To me, it doesn't seem like a good option. Um, I think again, the most logical thing is, you know, we try him out here or, and, and have an out clause for him to go play in Europe if it doesn't work out here. Um, but, the, you know, there's recent reports that are, there are a lot of credible people who think he could step into our lineup and, and be a you know, player for us next year, uh, you know, in a cap crunch situation that we kind of need, you know, that entry-level contract coming in. So, you know, it could be in that kind of perfect storm fit for us that, you know, he needs us and we need him and we're, you know, we're able to work something out. Uh, you know, you ask for kind of comparisons. I think, you know, it's maybe, you know, best case scenario, he's a Ryan Ellis. I think he's got that offensive mindset, you know, fairly still responsible defensively, but still has to work out some of those kinks. And I think everyone remembers Ryan Ellis, you know, from the world juniors, but then, you know, it took several years to actually progress into the NHL, but is, you know, undersized, but a very good, uh, well-rounded player. So that would be, you know, if, if he can end up being Ryan Ellis for us, that would obviously be an incredible uh, situation. And then, you know, you know, anything else other than that that's an NHL player is still going to be very useful given how, how badly we need them. Uh, so, you know, I, I certainly like the player. It sounds like we do have a good relationship with him. So it seems like there are, you know, I think Harvard, people hear Harvard and going into that senior year and people go, oh, flight risk uh, due to, you know, how many of his teammates, you know, former teammates have, you know, taken that full year. Uh, but again, I think the added context there is, you know, a Harvard degree is worth something as well. Yeah. So there's other good reasons for those guys to stick around, not necessarily, you know, to just burn that year and get to UFA, but then they get to that situation and they go, well, why not go to UFA? This yeah. situation and this year, well, you know, is he, you know, what, is he going to be taking online classes? Yeah. You know, obviously not participating in sports. I, I don't see that as a viable option for him or, or something that he's really going to want to pursue. So uh, like I said, you know, we will find out the fate, I think, fairly soon of Jack Rathbone. And, you know, I would be stunned. And that would be a, you know, horrible, horrible thing if he does not sign in that window. Yeah. I mean, I've been watching, I'm doing an article on him coming up and just watching a ton of video on him. And his first pass is like, pro every time he enters the zone, he either passes in or skates it in. And that's what the Canucks need more of on their blue line. Uh, Quinn Hughes is probably the only one that does it really well right now. Um, and they need another guy like that. And then just going back to the draft, um, not being able to have a pick till the third round. 
having – I mean, you can pick a really good defenseman in the first round that could come in pretty soon, and you're not going to get that either. But, yeah, like you said, Brathbone's a guy the Canucks need on the blue line, and I, I think he's going to sign too. And just looking at the assets he does have, I think he will be – uh, and his prime, a top four defenseman. So that's saying a lot for a fourth round pick. And oh, again, going back to huge, who was the one that probably was behind it? That's <laughs> well, just it. Who is the who is the guy yeah. who specialized in the NCAA? Yeah. You can't help but notice, with rare exception, the truly good picks we had. Because that's another thing that we talked about. You know, honestly, I think the three of us could do a pretty good job picking in the top five as an NHL GM every year. I think we, you know. Yeah, compared to some, I, I think we honestly could do that. What I don't think we could do is pick in the late rounds oh. or the, or the end of the first, or then find those complementary pieces to come come in and complement those true core players. So you can't help but notice when you look at all those picks, who are the truly good ones? Adam Gaudet, another example. You know, Besser, late third round pick, Eastern USHL. You can't help but notice the theme. And then, of course, you know, all the Pedersen stories that have come out about, you know, how much advocating, you know, Brackett had to do on Pedersen's behalf. You can't help but notice the common thread behind any of these truly good picks. And we just walked them, watched them walk out the door to Minnesota. And, and we had, you know, again, credible people in our market saying, who cares? Which, again, drives me nuts and doesn't make any sense to me. And the only thing that does is that they got a directive down as the rights holders to say, listen, we need to downplay this bracket thing. Yeah. And that's the only thing that makes sense to me. So, yeah, um, that was a great, great discussion on a lot of topics <laughs> that I didn't think we would be able to, um, you know, talk about the, the podcast this week for an episode. And all of a sudden we got a bunch of news with the best of trade and stuff, trade rumors. And I'm like, oh, I've got a ton of touch to talk about. So oh, yeah. <laughs> thanks, guys, for uh, coming on the show. It was uh, great to have you on. Um, your podcast is blowing up, and I thought I'd get you guys on. And uh, thankfully, both uh, or two of the of the team got on. So thank you, guys. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having us. It was fun. Most welcome, Matthew. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, yeah, that, uh, that ends this segment of the show. Um, thanks to Malcolm and uh, Sean from Area 51 Hockey. Uh, you can catch them uh, probably another episode well definitely episodes weekly for you guys um, I'll give you a chance to kind of plug anything that you guys want to do sure yeah we've been dropping uh, two episodes a week we drop one on Sunday night at midnight and then another one midweek usually Wednesday Thursday just kind of whatever ends up working out uh, and then uh, we've got this week, uh, Tony Gallagher is going to be on, uh, as I mentioned, uh, for the midweek. Uh, of course, we had our last episode was with Jay Fresh. Uh, that was our midweek one. It was a fantastic episode talking about kind of the analytics side of, of the game. Uh, of course, his famous player cards we touch on as well. Uh, and then we had Patrick Johnson uh, last weekend. Uh, as well, we'll have uh, Jay Swing. Uh, and Brett Party uh, recording uh, for tomorrow. They'll be have theirs released on Sunday at midnight. So lots to look forward to. We've got uh, some big guests lined up uh, for upcoming episodes as well. So uh, you can follow us on uh, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook, uh, TikTok, as Brad's always <laughs> busy on there as well. 
Uh, we're kind of everywhere we try to be. Uh, we just dropped a website as well, uh, www.area51hockey.com. So you could check out any episodes and merch there. All right. All right. And I'll, I'll just plug uh, the Rock the Vote, try to get myself uh, back to 50-50 <laughs> here and some respectability on my team draft. Lafreniere is without question, other than winning the Cup, the second best outcome for our season. So get back in there. And if you haven't voted, uh, do. And if you haven't already made a burner, do and, and vote again. <laughs> I will do. <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks, guys. And uh, I hope to have you guys on again soon. Yeah, you bet. Thanks. All the best. All right. Hey, thanks, Malcolm and Sean, for coming on the show. Uh, they were a great get from Area 51 Hockey. They're doing some great work over there. And uh, next, we've got Rob, a.k.a. Fan2Abby, on Twitter. Uh, it was a great conversation with him, and that is coming up right around the corner. And now, welcome back to Canucks and Pucks. I'm very happy to be joined by uh, Rob. Uh, everyone probably knows knows him more by Fan2Abby on Twitter. Uh, hey Rob, thanks for doing this. Oh, thanks for inviting me on, Matt. Always, always thrilled to discuss hockey and chat about it, especially Canucks. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, been a lot of news uh, for the Canucks the last few days here um, since my last episode. Uh, there's been quite a bit of stuff going on. Uh, first of all, um, you know, talking about Pudfuls and and Hoglander, which we've probably seen a lot of uh, watching those games. Uh, early in the morning when everyone else is asleep. So um, I just want to touch on uh, a bit of what you think Pod Folzin's ceiling is in the NHL, and uh, we'll go for it right to Hoglander after that as well. Well, uh, Pod Colson, it just he keeps getting better and better. I think he's, uh, for me, he's he's going to be the first uh, first line right winger probably. And he can also play left wing, but um, right wing is probably where he's going to be. I, I think we, the Canucks may have just got the uh, best player in the third straight draft, the draft in 10th this time. So um, he's got, the people always talk to or, or people are assessing him, always talk about his motor. And he's this guy, he just keeps going and going. He doesn't stop. Um, coaches, what I've read about him, and even from when he was a kid, he's that's not somebody that needs to be uh, motivated. He's self-motivated. And uh, for me, it's his character as well. I think you've probably seen some of that. They're having the COVID-19 problems over in Russia too. He's out there delivering food to elderly people and that sort of thing on his own initiative. So um, for me, he's an elite passer. He reminds me, he's, for me, he's more of a passer than a shooter. Not, he can shoot, but he's, he's more in that uh, guy who likes to distribute the puck. Um, so that's what you'll see more from him. You won't see a, I don't think you'll see a 50 goal Ovechkin type of season ever from him, but yeah, you might see 60 assists someday. Yeah, the thing is, I was seeing Pod Coles and just watching video on him. I was uh, doing a bit, a bit more watching clips on him the other day, and he drives the net quite well too with his size, and and that's that's something the Canucks don't have a lot of on their team right now. So I'm I'm excited to see that in the NHL. Yeah, we, we've been talking for years, sir, for Jake Bertrand to drive the net, drive the net instead of going around the net, and uh, yeah. this guy just does it. He just does it naturally. That's what he does, and he's fearless. And yeah. uh, he, he also dropped the gloves. You don't see a lot of Russians will drop the gloves, but he'll <laughs> drop the gloves and do pretty okay, although he didn't think he did so well and might need some more training. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the thing is, and, and he seems really, uh, really, yeah, like you said earlier, his character is really high too, which 
seems like uh, our scouting staff is really high on that character uh, aspect of a lot of players' games. So he definitely has that in spades. So it'll be interesting to see um, him in the NHL and how he meshes with this young group going forward. It reminds me of, of Patterson and, and uh, Hughes in, in the sense that he's one of those guys that keeps working on his game and hockey's his life. And uh, um, you probably won't find them in the, uh, at the – more likely to find him doing extra time in the rink than maybe the nightclub type of thing. So that's the type of person he is. It's hockey is his life, and that's his focus. And, that, uh, and he definitely wants to come over to, to Canada as well. I, I remember um, about a year ago when he, when he first drafted, uh, he'd had Ovechkin and I think it was Malkin as two people on Twitter that he followed. And shortly after that, Pedersen became the third hockey player he was following. So he wants to play here for sure. Yeah, it's, and the thing is, is yeah, like you said, the third straight draft that the Canucks are going to get a player that may become, you know, an elite, elite uh, player in the NHL. And, you know, we talk about the Canucks losing the draft lotteries all the time. And, I mean, you got to look at it. They've got three really good players that, that have, quote, unquote, fallen to them. And, you know, we lost the lottery. So it's like, it's not, it doesn't seem to hurt if they hurt the Canucks very much. Yeah. And I know the, uh, well, you know, we've always focused on, on who the number one picks supposed to be a consensus, but um, I mean, lottery it, it, drafts are always, you know, they're, they're a crap shit really. And even, even in the first round that you can, it's, it's people are just giving their opinions. You don't know how, how, what the real work, work ethic of those of kids are at that age. And, you know, will they, will they keep going? And, uh, I mean, with Pedersen and Hughes, there's no doubt, and, and Besser as well. It's just we've really, really lucked out, especially with the last two, because I think they're – I mean, I think essentially we could argue that we've had two number one picks in a row. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't argue that. Uh, the thing is, is he, what, he, what Hughes did this past season, it's, it's – yeah, it's pretty amazing on what uh, – how he adjusted to the NHL probably, like, right from day one. And he's already probably – arguably the number one defenseman on the Canucks right now. Um, I don't know if anyone could argue that very much. I, I don't know how you could. I, I had a chance uh, back. Uh, it was uh, the end. Of, I think it was J July of 2018 when they had the uh, the uh, the World Junior uh, Summer Camp, and uh, they had Finland, uh, um, Sweden, and the U.S. And, and Team Canada. And I had a chance to see them up close. Uh, it was in Kamloops, and it was a 40 de 40 degrees there at the time outside the arena. Yeah. Minus 40, pretty much inside the arena. It was kind of there were a lot of people in there, but watching, but. Uh, I saw right away, just up close, like you could just see how he was sort of beyond all the other players. And, yeah. and through college as well, I thought that uh, he'd be the type of player that his game would elevate more when he, when he had the same level of players around him, like NHL players who could convert the passes he made and, and be on the same thought process. And I mean, he's even amazed me, though, with the, with the rookie year he's had. Yeah, and it's, yeah, I, I don't know, watching him every, every night, it's, I'm amazed by every time I see him on the ice. And, the Canucks need a lot more of that in their lineup uh, on defense, especially. And we'll talk about uh, Jack Rathbone a little later. But I mean, the Canucks just need that, especially with the young uh, young forwards that are coming up. And we'll kind of just seamlessly move into Hoglander. How, how do you think he'll come into the Canucks? Probably not as huge as Pod Colson, but um, you know, he's still probably be a really good, really good player. You know, well, he, he's he's built uh, like physically. He's really built. He's a, he's a he's a shorter guy, five foot nine ish, uh, five ten that range. But he's built like a, I'm going to say fire club. He's, he's not that that short. But uh, I know I was reading something uh, where he, when he's a 17, 18 year old, he came into into, into the the Rogel uh, uh, dressing room with all the pro hockey players, 
And he ended up being the one who was most fit and sort of reminded me of the, the Seeding brothers, how they were always leading the way. Here's a 17, 18-year-old kid, 18-year-old kid um, going to a pro, pro uh, camp, and he's, he's wowing other players there. Um, yeah. Cody, Cody Curran, who played with him last year, and I think he signed the Ducks as sort of a 30-year-old type of rookie in the NHL. Oh, yeah. I was just, we're just marveling at, at – uh, he basically told Vancouver uh, to, to buckle up and was a seat filler for Rogers Arena. He was just wowed by his work ethic, and he says, you know, this guy can juggle while yeah. riding a unicycle. You probably saw that. Name. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he, he seems like a fitness nut, too. So it's – I don't know. I I, I mean, I think we'll be pleasantly surprised when he comes over here, like the saying that he probably won't play in the AHL. But, I mean, you know, with the players that are coming up here, I, I think he'll probably make an impact in the NHL. Probably not – he won't be as big as Pedersen um, because, you know – from the stats, Pedersen like dominated the SHL, the Swedish Elite League, in his, um, you know, the last season there. And Hoglander didn't really. And usually, if you do dominate there, you're, you're going to dominate the NHL. But we'll see when he, when he comes over. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, he was playing in the Allsvenskan, which is sort of the second tier league, although there's it's not quite as big a gap as between the NHL and AHL, and uh, as a 16, 17 year old. So, and those coaches always speak highly of him too, the work ethic and. Um, he's he's uh, he's skates again like Hughes. He's got that agility, that edge work. He's slippery. Uh, he's quick. I mean, there's some there's some plays that you know, when you watch him play that he's he's the type of player apart from those lacrosse goals that he's right. he just he just got that hockey sense. I guess the way to talk about it. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, well, those two are going to be really exciting to see coming up. Uh, well, then we'll transition into more someone that's been around a few years is Ole Levy. Um, you know, we'll see him in training camp uh, coming up, and he'll be one of the Black Aces. Um, what do you think his – he probably won't play, but, I mean, what do you think will uh, be the impact of him being around these guys for a few weeks? Well, I think it's very important for him. Uh, he hasn't been called up during a season yet, even just to, to be around, like Jalen Chatfield, for example, has been a couple times without playing. Um, he's had a real rough go of it. I, I think it was the Sandy Sallow injury curse, so. I thought it was actually kind of funny that Sammy Sal, of course, was helping him out when he went back to Finland to play that one year. Sammy would you know, find ways to get injured. Like, and I expect uh, Levy to be stepping on a poisonous snake next. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think it sounds to me like he's, he's fully healthy here. Now, the issue, though, is, is are there residual effects? You know, because, I mean, he was getting turnstiled a little bit in the AHL. And, yeah. and so you get your full range of motion and your full speed back. And the other issue, though, of course, is you're behind everybody when you're injured because you're coming back and they're maybe at mid-season level and you're, you're always a step behind. So it'd be nice to get one healthy season out of them, if yeah. not in the NHL, certainly the AHL. Yeah. And uh, Chris Faber from Canuck Army did a big uh, deep dive in him a couple weeks ago. And just watching some of the, like, the positives of his game, I mean, he does really look like Chris Tanev in the – you know, the smarts and stuff and penalty killing. And if he becomes a guy that's just that, I mean, he's probably not going to hit the ceiling that everyone thought he would as a, you know, high draft pick. But, I mean, even if he becomes a serviceable, you know, Tanev type defenseman, I think the Canucks are still going to be um, better with him in the lineup. Yeah, and people forget he's also an elite passer. And there's very few players. I mean, look, what if you watch his passing closely, too, it's quite – he's, he's you know, on target with those uh, – long passes, always making the right pass. Mm-hmm. But that shot left is something we need. I mean, penalty killing, that's, that's uh, there's sort of a, been a bit of a void on that, especially if, if you lose uh, Tanner. And uh, Edler, how, how much longer does he go? Is, is next that's season right. his last season? Or 
You look pretty good with uh, maybe Hughes and uh, Yolevi and, uh, of course, Jack Rathbone, perhaps, as being the future on the left side. It doesn't look too bad at this at this moment. But it all depends yeah. on whether Yolevi, whether he's actually lost anything from his game or his abilities. Even though he could be healthy, he might there might be some residual effect. And when you're a top athlete like that, even a small percentage can hurt you. That's right, especially with the major injuries he's had to deal with, which I mean, a lot of these guys haven't even gone through one major injury, and he's already gone through two. So <laughs> it's it's going to be uh, more of an uphill battle for him. Yeah, I think so. There's the old saying, "What does what doesn't kill you makes you makes you stronger," right? And I think he's pro he's been working so hard. Uh, back when I was at that camp last year too, I, I went to went to there a bit early and they had extra camps around there. He was working out the skills coach and and Jet Wu, just just the three of them, and he was at that point rehabbing from I think his knee injury at that point too. And uh, I just got the feeling, I don't think people realize that he's, when in person, he's, he's, he's a tall, he's got a wide body too. I noticed that with Jet Wu, we don't have defensemen like that, that more of the defensemen we used to have like uh, Salo and, and Oldens in the past. So, I mean, I can see both those guys being, I, I sort of watching at that point and saying, these guys might be a pair for the NHL or for the Canucks in the, in the future in the NHL. Yeah, I still have some uh, high hope. I still have high hopes for you, Levy. I mean, I haven't really given up on his development. He's still a young, young defenseman. I think we just got to put away from your mind that he was a high draft pick and just look at what he is now. Yeah, I mean, I, I still think he's got that potentially a top four defenseman. He's obviously uh, on the Canucks. Well, he uses here. There's no room beyond at number one anyway. On the left right. side. So, uh, but uh, he, like I said, if he if he if he brings that shot blocking to the NHL and penalty killing, those are those are important things you need. Um, and yeah. uh, that's not something that Hughes does right now. He probably could do it, but uh, that's not something you'd want him doing. And uh, there's right. a place for him. Yeah. Yeah, I still think so. Um, and we'll go into uh, as we were talking a few of those guys in how uh, defense prospects the Canucks have. What is your picks for the top five um, right now on the Canucks? Well, I did a little, little bit of work on that. We're doing sort of – I also do some writing for Next Misconduct, and we're sort of mm -hmm. working on a group, group effort to pick their pick uh, their best 25 under 25. Right. But so I was looking looking through reviewing that, but that's, that includes people like Pedersen and Hughes who already made it, right? So, right. But for me, number one is Vasily Potkols, and there's, there's, I think he's going to end up being the best this best player in the draft. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and I think Canucks fans should be getting excited for him. I think they are already. And, uh, um, Ska is uh, – his uh, KHL club is having a development camp prior to their main camp, and uh, they've been putting up some clips of them, which I've shared on Twitter. And people are really excited, even from those. I mean, they're, they're drills, obviously, they're not game, <laughs> but still, uh, the close-up action here in those skates and make some of the moves he's making. Uh, that's certainly uh, something that he can actually do in a game, I think, too. So, uh, but I, I see him as being the Canucks' uh, number one right winger at, at yeah. uh, some point. Uh, and of course, that sort of leads into Besser, I guess, in a way too. <laughs> but with those rumors, and <laughs> yeah, 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 that's that's I think what with Besser being you know rumored on the you know being traded, and it's because Pod Colson is is highly thought of, and that he could slide in there. But uh, yeah, but they have to plan ahead. I mean, these young guys that you have, uh, they're all looking for chances, right? And there's only yeah. so many spots on there, and. Uh, Obviously, the ELCs, uh, the, the lower cap, it's are important. Um, you know, that's why on the on defense, so why Broken Rafi is probably going to be on his team. Uh, not, not only because of the great year he had, but, you know, $700,000 cap hit. If yeah. he can be a, a, a good third-pairing uh, guy, um, that, that does a lot for the team. We don't have spending necessarily a couple million for, you know, Jordy Ben on the third pairing. That's right. 
So, I mean, like, Pod Colson, I had Hoglander first, like, way back. I'd say probably, like, almost a year ago now, I had Hoglander over Pod Colson. But you're just watching more of what he can do. He's more of a well-rounded player. And I think, yeah, he's probably the number one prospect on the Canucks right now. It's kind of nice because you have an argument for that. I mean, obviously, Hoglander's number two on my list, but you, you wouldn't have too hard, hard a, a job to convince me he should be number one. But there are two guys. we got basically got two first-rounders, in my view, in that, in that yeah. draft as well. So we're really lucky out there. Yeah. And the thing is, Hoglander was rated to go into the, in the first round in that draft. So, I mean, it's not like uh, the scouts saw, saw a second-round pick out of him. They, they thought he was in the late first round. Yeah, I know sometimes you get lucky like that because somebody, somebody has a different uh, need perhaps at, you know, at, that, at that point when you drop a two and there, there he was. But there's no doubt, again, it's the work ethic is there. That, that, that's yeah. a big part of it. And I think you see that with the players that really, uh, that really, really do well. They, they have that innate work ethic where they're, they're, they don't need, they're not trying to, to prove to somebody else that they're good. They're trying to prove to themselves that, you know, that they're good and they can get better at the time. Yeah. And, there's a lot of competition on the right, right side. I, I would never count out Will Lockwood either because there's another – we're talking character again. Another guy right. like that. He seems from that uh, – when Judd Brackett took over in his first year, that 2016 draft was the first one that he oversaw and it turned into a pretty bad draft. Uh, obviously, things improved, but that was the one where Yolabi they got and he's had all the injury problems. And yeah. Will, Will Lockwood was very similar with all the injury problems. And the next four, the next four guys uh, were never even signed, right? So, right. Yeah. so but there's, there's still a chance that uh, both uh, both Ulevi and Lockwood could uh, play for the Canucks someday. Yeah, I really like Lockwood's uh, motor as well. Like I've seen seeing his uh, forechecking ability really reminds me of Yannick Hansen and how he plays. So even if he can become a player like that, I mean that's pretty good coming out of the draft. Yeah, and uh, he's he's also loves to hit. I mean, this year I think he toned it down because he was having so so much problem with his shoulder. I think it's both shoulders actually. He's had surgery yeah. on now, and but uh, I th- I think uh, if he picks his spots better, he's he's, he's re- like he really uh, likes to lay on the hits. He enjoys that, and that's important to enjoy it if you're going to do it. Yeah. Sometimes you get players that you know they don't don't necessarily want to hit. So, but uh, he he's enjoyed that. But again, he's got that character. He's got go- he's got a great shot, I think, too. So yeah, what I've seen of highlights and watching his game. So. Yeah, he's, he's going to be an interesting guy to watch next season, too. I mean, not just to make the Canucks, but just to play on on the Comets. I mean, Utica's going to get a lot of uh, really good players coming in, uh, potentially. Yeah, hopefully the AHL gets off the ground this year. That's going to be an interesting Oh, that's the thing, yeah. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting how to, how to deal with that. Uh, um, there's other guys there, too. That uh, Mark Michaelis guy, the, uh, the German yeah. guy out of college, uh, he's also the type of guy that might, uh, you know, everybody wants to – open up that four spot for an ELC. He's the type of guy that might go step into your, your fourth line center at some point. Uh, he plays wing as well and, and do penalty killing and that sort of thing. He's got some interesting skills, you know, as, as we move on from the, the, uh, the veteran contracts. Yeah. Here, unfortunately. That's right. Yeah. Michaelis has a really good two way game, so he could definitely uh, be a guy that can step into the third, fourth line role and, and be a good player down there. So, yeah. Um, just trying through, like we're talking about the prospects and uh, potentially the Canucks having, you know, their first round pick if they they end up uh, not beating the Wild in the first in the qualifying round. Um, who's who are you kind of looking at in the first round that the Canucks could get if they ultimately they would not win the lottery and get Lafreniere? 
Yeah, to be honest, I haven't spent a lot of time out this year because I figured we didn't have any picks until the third, third <laughs> round. <laughs> so, so it's for me, it's Lafreniere or, or Bust. One guy I do like, and, right. and one one guy I do like, uh, but he probably won't be there. But you, is is Jamie Drysdale because he's a right right uh, right side defenseman, and it's good to see him playing with Quinn Hughes at one point. Those two guys would would mesh well together. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's also the, the, the Russian goalie, Yaroslav Askarov. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think he might go higher as a goalie, but since, probably since Carey Price. And uh, Carey Price, when the year, interestingly enough, when he was chosen, it was Jim Benning's dad who convinced Montreal to take him. And I think <laughs> third overall, fifth overall that range. But uh, yeah, he's, he's really thought highly of. When I've seen him play, I haven't been as impressed, but uh, when I've seen highlights, there, there are some impressive highlights of him. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to what I mean. If the we ultimately want the Canucks to come through that qualifying round, but I mean, if they don't, there's big chance, twelve point five percent chance, the Canucks get that first overall pick. But even if they don't, they're going to have a really good pick in that first round. Um, so the either you know you beat the Wild and move on, or you get a chance at a really good pick. So I don't know. There's a win-win scenario there. Yeah, but that's that's the biggest thing here. I mean, I think as a Canucks fan, you you want them to win, you want them to go all the way to Stanley Cup, and uh, you, I don't think you want to ever lose it, lose a series on purpose. I, I, I don't no. see I can do that, but if it does happen, then it's that nice uh, consolation prize. But again, it's an eighty-seven point five percent chance you're not going to get Lafreniere. That's right. <laughs> and then the Canucks had a ninety-nine percent chance. You know, you know they wouldn't get it even then, right? So. <laughs> that's very true. <laughs> yeah, the way the luck is gone, but uh, yeah. Um, yeah, so, you know, we'll have hockey back in the next, uh, you know, by August, is it August 2nd is the first game. So uh, there's going to be a ton of hockey coming up and, uh, we'll be talking a lot more as that time comes. Um, yeah, thanks. Thanks for doing this, Rob. It was uh, really great talking with you. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me on. I really enjoyed it. All right. Uh, yeah, you can, uh, follow, uh, Rob at Fan2Abby on Twitter. Uh, he's always watching the the games that everyone can't watch when it's really early in the morning. So uh, thanks for staying up late. Thanks, Rob, for coming on the show. Uh, it was a great conversation with you about the different prospects, Hoglander, Potfuls, and uh, sorry I didn't get to your uh, top, the rest of your top five prospects there, um, but I'm sure we'll be talking to you a lot more as the season uh, winds down here and into the next uh, season for the Canucks. So uh, we'll definitely talk to you more. Uh, next, we have uh, Pete Bauer over the Hockey Writers. Uh, he's been a very accomplished author and a uh, guy that's been in the hockey world for a bit and uh, had some great, great words with him uh, with about the return to play. And uh, so, yeah, definitely uh, take a listen to that. And uh, he'll be coming up in just a few seconds. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Canucks and Pucks podcast. I'm very excited to be joined by Pete Bauer from uh, the Hockey Writers. He uh, primarily covers the Columbus Blue Jackets and uh, catches on a whole bunch of other stuff uh, for the NHL in general too. So uh, welcome, Pete. Uh, Thanks for joining me. Oh, my pleasure. Happy to be here. Yeah, so uh, biggest thing right now is the return to play uh, stuff that's actually been ratified and hockey's back and in a format that's quite different from what we're used to, especially with hockey being played uh, beginning of August rather than uh, being the off season, middle of the off season. Um, yeah, so just get to your overall thoughts on that, Pete, and what's uh, what's going on with the NHL right now. 
Well, back, uh, back when the pause first happened, Matthew, I wrote a series of columns suggesting how the NHL could handle uh, hockey going forward. Uh, my first suggestion was that to, to make everything fair from the games that had already been played, that they just truncate the season to 68 games, which was the least any team had played, the Islanders, and I believe it was Carolina. And you just throw away any games after the 68th. And uh, then you have equal standing for points. You have uh, your top eight in each. Uh, you're ready to go. Um, and uh, then I looked at the collective bargaining agreement, which is, wow, 500 plus pages of dense, dense information. Did you know that according to the collective bargaining agreement, spouses, families have to fly commercial economy oh, class? Wow. Yeah, right. That, like that's going to happen when you're earning yeah, right. $6 million. But um, in there, I found that there was actually uh, built into the collective bargaining agreement a mechanism for uh, establishing a, uh, um, a fair way to see who qualifies for the playoffs. Written right into the, the agreement was a, a system where the bottom uh, four teams, uh, two in each conference, played the next highest uh, in a, a series not longer than seven games, so it could be a, a three-game or a five-game series, but it only involved adding um, uh, a couple of teams, uh, four teams to fight for the wild cards. Um, and uh, now we've got 24 teams, which includes the Montreal Canadiens, who finished the season with a 500 record. Um, yeah, I think the last time we saw a team with a 500 record uh, in the postseason, and I say postseason because yeah, we're yeah. not yet talking about the playoffs, <laughs> um, I think that was back in the original six era. Um, yeah. which that's another subject I can go off on, that original six is really a misnomer. Maybe we could call them the traditional six, since at one point there were 17 teams in the league yeah. before that. But um, you know, it's been a long time since a team with such a bad record has been in, and they're going to face the very powerful Pittsburgh Penguins, who um, uh, the Mont Montreal finished with 71 points in, uh, in 71 games, and... Uh, the Penguins had, um, uh, what was it, 86 points. Uh, yeah. I've got so many screens open here. This is so funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, oh, it's, you know, I just, oh, well, no, we could just go and add the second monitor and all that, but we didn't. Um, but the, uh, uh, and Pittsburgh had an off year at that yeah, because yeah. of injuries mm -hmm. to a, a large degree, but a telling point was uh, that um, uh Pittsburgh's power play, Pittsburgh's power play, finished at under 20%. Huh. Uh, that's, that, I mean, when you're talking about uh, a team that, that has Crosby, Malkin, and all those other weapons, wow. So yeah, Montreal, um, it, it's, it's, you know, it's, really, uh, it's really tough to, to try to um, justify them being involved in this in, in any way, shape, or form. Um, and when we look at, at uh, the betting odds, uh, I don't know if you're a betting man, but <laughs> if we, I, I, I would wager you're not. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Probably um, the biggest thing I've done is lot them, so that's, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, well, this is actually, you know, something that um, while I don't bet on sports, uh, I, do, I do follow the betting lines. Um, yeah. 
consistently because it, it gives me an idea of what the professionals think are going to happen. Uh, the Pittsburgh Montreal series um, the, at uh, one of the websites, I won't mention which one, they don't deserve a plug. Um, <laughs> their odds are Pittsburgh three to two plus 275, which means that's what they think is most likely. Pittsburgh three to nothing, a sweep, 325. Pittsburgh three to one, also 325. They don't have Montreal winning the, the series until plus 450. So it's plus 275 versus plus 450, which means that, that uh, you know, the bookies are like, uh, yeah, please put your money on Montreal. Please, please right. put your money on Montreal. We're, we're begging you to put your money on Montreal. Um, and a Montreal sweep, three to nothing, plus 1,200. Holy. Yeah, so uh, that's like, I, I won't say one in a million, but I think plus twelve hundred is uh, is are, are the worst odds of Pretty any big. of the qualification yeah, yeah. round. Uh, um, you know, I'd drop a dollar on that, maybe uh, yeah, for yeah. the chance of winning twelve hundred. But um, because you know, it just it takes. And we're talking about a best of five series, not a best of seven series. So that means three wins. A goalie can steal three wins. Uh, oh, we've sure. seen it happen. Yeah, we've seen it happen. Um, a team can get hot. Uh, my Blue Jackets against the Tampa Bay Lightning last year in the in the first round, mm. a four-game sweep of the team that tied the record for the most regular season wins, yeah. and they were swept by the second wild card. So anything can happen, but Montreal beating Pittsburgh, I rank that as uh, somewhere between. <laughs> and <laughs> so um that that's just that's just the bauer scale that we're talking yeah, about there yeah. <laughs> um yeah and then when, when you look at uh the new york carolina uh series the bookies are still looking at carolina to win that um uh in in four or five games um uh but the rangers odds are not that far behind and I think the Rangers, the Rangers are an interesting case here. Um, Carolina has a lot of unsung young star players. Um, and New York has a lot of established star yeah. players. Uh, Panarin comes to mind. Uh, Zabinajad comes to mind. Um, uh, New York's got a tough decision, though, when it comes to goal. Um, do you give the king? Do you give uh, Henrik Lundqvist yeah. one more shot at being a postseason superstar, um, or has he aged out of that? And is it time to move on from him? Um, but I think the Rangers, uh, Carolina, that's not a laugher. Uh, that one, that one, I think that might be a very high-scoring series, um, and uh, I think it could go either way. Mm. Um, Florida, the Islanders, um, uh, you know, that's another one that the bookies are saying could go either way. Uh, Florida winning in five games is a plus 345, but the yeah. Islanders winning in five games is only plus 355. Huh, so it, it's close. a 10-point difference. Yeah, that's, that's a toss-up right there yeah. uh, if the series goes five. Um, and uh, if it goes four or even a sweep, uh, three-nothing sweep, um, they've got Florida and the Islanders almost head to head. Um, I, even though uh, the bookies are giving a slight edge to Florida, uh, I would, I'm leaning toward the Islanders in that series mm -hmm. because I lack confidence in Sergei Bobrovsky in goal. 
Yeah. Um, he signed that seven year, $10 million a year contract. He left my Blue Jackets to go to Florida <laughs> after winning two Vezina trophies in Columbus. Uh, yeah. he, he said, bye-bye, I'm off for bigger numbers. Yeah. Uh, and he went to Florida and he had a pretty mediocre season. Um, and he's never been a hot start. Uh, and you know, this layoff has, it, it, it might've done two things for him. It might've gotten his head straight um, or it might have got him rusty. And we don't have uh, a long uh, uh, training camp. Uh, we don't have a preseason before the qualifying round. Um, I don't know if Bob can get it together for games one and yeah. two. And you sure don't want to fall into a two-nothing hole uh, <laughs> no in a five-game series. No. You, know, that, that's, that's, you, have to, you have to score the hat trick and win three in a row just to, to, to get out of that series. Um, so I think the Islanders uh, have a very good chance of quote unquote upsetting the Florida Panthers because yeah. technically Florida finished ahead. Higher, yeah. Um, and uh, so it's, I, I think that'll be a fun one to watch um, uh, for the fans of the Islanders. Yeah. Honestly, uh, I, like Bobrovsky coming into Florida there and leaving the Blue Jacks, how much do you think uh, losing the goaltending coach and Ian Clark did for him? Because it seems like that's when he kind of got things together. Um, you know, I think he had learned just about everything he could learn mm. uh, from, from Mr. Clark. Uh, that's not saying that, that Clark's day-to-day tune-ups and tips wouldn't have been um, a, a good thing for Bob uh, down in Florida. Um, but uh, in terms of the fundamentals um, and uh, positioning, uh, reaction, um, rebound control, things like that. I, I think that Bob, well, his two Vezinas pretty much yeah. tell us that, yeah, he did learn his lessons. Um, and uh, I, I can't recall who the goalie coach is in Florida, but um, all he had to do really, if Bob started developing bad habits is pull up some film uh, with him in a blue jacket sweater and show him, you know, here's the difference between what you did last night and what you did a year ago. Yeah. Um, uh, so I think, you know, but, uh, and, you know, I, I, I don't know Bobrovsky personally, um, but my understanding is that um, once you gain his trust, he's pretty easy to work with. Right. Um, and uh, helping a guy win a couple of major individual trophies is sure a good way to earn his trust. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm not sure that the change of organization, um, uh, I think the change of organization was an important factor in his mediocre year, but I'm not so much uh, convinced that it was goaltended coaching as it was not having uh, the same team in front of him. Oh, for sure. Uh, the Blue Jackets, you know, people remember, oh, you know, they, were, they went all in at the trade deadline, Panarin, Duchesne. Single all left at the end of the season as free agents, along with Bob and a couple of other uh, minor players. Here's a trivia question. What team did Keith Kincaid actually belong to, but he never played for? The Columbus Blue Jackets. Jackets, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it doesn't even show up on his stats at hockeydb.com or on the <laughs> NHL site. It doesn't show him as being a member of the Columbus organization because he never actually never was played. in the roster. Um, but um, uh, you know, I, I think the Blue Jackets had a, a hard forechecking um, 
tough to play against team with an outstanding defense um, last year and again this year. Mm-hmm. And I think that Bob suffered um, from not playing, uh, not only not playing the same system, but not having those guys in front of him. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, Seth Jones is, uh, uh, should be a Norris Trophy finalist every year. Um, and I, I'm not just being a homer on <laughs> that. Uh, but I think that he really does show um, in all three zones that he is one of the top defensemen in the league. Um, and his partner, Zach Wierenski, this year uh, scored 20 goals as a defenseman. The next yeah. highest scoring uh, defenseman had 16. That's, a, that's, that's one third more or three quarters, one quarter more. Boy, my math has just gone out the window. <laughs> oh, wait till you see the column I wrote this morning. If you want to see some crazy math, uh, it should be up in a couple hours. But, oh, boy, oh, boy. Uh, I had to check, cut it back from, from, I had nine tables in the article oh, in the first um, draft. Uh, no, I'm sorry. That's too much for even my, even my stat happy buddies uh, don't need to see that many tables and charts. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, Warinsky, uh was an offensive dynamo, but he also still had really nice uh, plus minus numbers. Um, uh, I, he was he was still um, he was still looking pretty good uh, 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 through the season in all three zones. Um, and uh, you can't uh, you can't underestimate a defenseman who can play in all three zones. Um, oh, I mean, uh, I've been impressed by Wierenski. Um, just watching from afar of how 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 well the, a good two way defenseman he is and and he's still re- really young for um, for the league too so he's going to be around for a while. Oh, he is, um, and uh, and he's going to earn his big paycheck. Uh, it'll it'll come in there. Uh, let's see, he finished uh, third in the Blue Jackets in points uh, uh, overall, and uh, he was a, a plus nine, which uh, put him in, you know. Uh, third place uh, yeah. you know Seth Jones only played 56 games Wernski only played 63 and still scored 20 goals um, and was a plus nine Jones and Eric Robinson the left winger were both plus 10 which was mm-hmm. you know that, that, that was a nice surprise um, but uh, you know Wierenski and Jones can only play 25 minutes a game yeah. I don't know no you know <laughs> I, I say let's say Wierenski played 24 on average um, and uh you know he was a 23 minutes and 59 seconds i'm sorry let's yeah. get back to precision here <laughs> no no we don't need to and jones was just over 25 minutes a game so let's let's bump them up for this qualification round to 27 or 28 minutes per yeah. game uh that still leaves half of uh the game being played by the second and third pair um Gavrikov um, and Savard are a potential number two pair, uh, Gavi and Savvy, as some people call them. Uh, They were both solid defensively. Um, They didn't, uh, they they, they didn't chip in a whole lot offensively, but uh, when we look at Toronto, we're looking at five players. Um, You know, Toronto is for all practical purposes, since uh, Sheldon Keith took over as coach, uh, it's it's Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, um, uh, Nylander, Hyman, and uh, John Tavares. Yeah, those five players accounted for uh, two thirds of Toronto's goals. 
all by themselves. Two-thirds, 66% of Toronto's goals during the season were scored by those five players. The top five goal scorers for Columbus chipped in under half, 48% yeah. of, of the goals. Um, um, and uh, Toronto was a run-and-gun team. Uh, and we look at, at Columbus, and we're looking at a, a grinding team. Um, but there are a couple of things, uh, Matthew, that, that uh, come up. Um, one of the tough things, and I wrote a column about this a few weeks ago, is Coach John Tortorella has one of the toughest decisions uh, in all of the qualification round coming up. Who does he start in Old goal? Tending. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jonas Corposalo made the All-Star team. Uh, he didn't play in the All-Star game because he was injured. But yeah. his first half was good enough to get him voted into the All-Star game. But young Elvis, who started out, oh, <laughs> oh, he started out, what was it, 0 and 10, his first game, he gave up yeah. seven goals. Um, this was his first time in North America. He never played a game in the AHL. He didn't come over to play his, his junior hockey. He played in the Swiss A-League, the top Swiss league, yeah. um, on the international size ice. Uh, and... Uh, people who play hockey and have played on both sides rinks know that the angles are radically different. Um, um, the international ice is substantially wider than the NHL ice. And so the shots come from different angles. Uh, the rebounds go in different directions. And uh, it takes a, a goalie a while to get used to that. Well, once Elvis took over starting uh, New Year's Eve, uh, he went on a tear. He had five shutouts in eight games, and three of those were against some of the top scoring teams in the league. Um, Elvis finished tied uh, for fifth in the league in save percentage, and uh, he was fifth in the league in the goals against. Um, Corpusala, I think, was uh, like a, oh, 15 uh, in that range. Um, and then for Toronto, uh, Anderson, Frederick Anderson, was down around 30. Uh, 31, I think, in goals against and maybe 41 in save percentage. So that doesn't even put him really among, you know, I mean, if there were backup goalies for teams that had better numbers than Toronto's starting goalie. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, he would have been in the top 30, uh, top 31, I should say. But um, uh, Tortorella's got to make a decision. Um, when... When Corpusalo came back from injury, he was 2-2-1 in his five uh, games. Um, and he looked okay, but he didn't look like an all-star. No. Um, but did his first half, um, and does his, his, his four years as uh, Bob's backup, does that, does that give him the honor of starting the qualification round? Um, if it's a seven-game series, I think maybe you let him try game one maybe even game two, unless he, you know, self-destructs in game one. But in a five-game series, again, you can't afford to go down two, two games. No, I'd say not um, even one. I mean, <laughs> your first, the first game is going to be pretty huge to win just to get started. I mean, it is. I mean, yeah. Um, and, and the, uh, you, do, you know, and, uh, if uh, for people who aren't aware of it, you know, Toronto is going to be playing games in Toronto. That's yes, not why, that's right. you know, I, that, but they're not going to have a, an arena filled with fans. They're mm -hmm. not going to be sleeping in their own beds. Um, they are going to be familiar with the dressing room. Uh, they're going to be, you know, this is something that the players learn um, 
after playing you know, 41 games, half their games in a regular season on home ice, you learn where the soft spot is in the boards, for example, right. yeah. and, and which piece of glass is loose when you're trying to, to <laughs> bank the puck out of your own zone. So knowing your arena, knowing your, your glass, your boards, and your ice um, can sometimes be an advantage. But home ice advantage, uh, as, as, as determined by, um, uh, 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 by percentage of points earned, uh, rather than actual standings, um, Toronto has a very, very key advantage uh, having home ice three of the, the five games. And that home ice is the last line change. Yeah. Uh, people who don't uh, play hockey and don't watch hockey at the highest level, uh, people who enjoy hockey but don't study hockey, don't realize that there are two huge advantages when you are the so-called home team. Uh, when, when there's a stoppage of play, with the exception of, of, of some icing situations, the visiting team has to put their five guys out on the ice first. And then the home team coach can decide which five he wants to match up against them. So if Tortorello at one stoppage sends out his fourth line, uh, Keith can go ahead and, and send out uh, the Tavares line if he wants. Yeah. Or, um, uh, or, you know, I mean, even... even even better, the Matthews line. Um, yeah. uh, you know, they were both potent offensively, but the Matthews line was much better balanced and had uh, better plus minuses across the board than the Tavares line did, uh, or the projected Tavares line and the projected Matthews line, which would be with Mitch Marner and, and Hyman. Uh, and I look at those guys and I think, you know, I, I, I don't want my fourth line out against those guys. No. So the only time that I after a stoppage that I actually throw my fourth line out there, uh, if I'm coaching uh, in, against a high-octane team like this, is when that top line has just come off the ice. So the, the coach is not going to throw them right back out unless there was a TV timeout, for example. But yeah. I don't want to show my, my, my uh, uh, fourth line forwards uh, and then have the other team be able to choose who they throw out there. Um, so, I, uh, and of course you've got two defensemen coming off too. Yeah. You put out your fourth line forwards with your top defensive pair and you know, it, that's, you might have something going on there defensively. Um, but, uh, they also have another wild card. Um, our colleague Mark Scheid mentioned it, uh, in a recent column and he and I had a nice chat last night. Um, and, uh, it's the... The, the young rookie, Liam Foudy. Yes, uh, yeah. Wow. The kid, uh, the kid only had a two-game call-up, and it was only on an emergency injury replacement basis. Um, but he looked good out there. Uh, Tortorella even, even trusted him to kill penalties. Hmm. Uh, and even though you know, this was his first experience at any level above junior, um, and he... Uh, you know, and Tortorella is, you have to earn his trust. Yeah. <laughs> um, and by the way, there's one thing I'd also like to point out about him is, is uh, he's got a bad rep that he doesn't deserve. Um, people talk about how he wears out his welcome with the team and how he, uh, uh, he you know, rubs players the wrong yeah. way. But is that really the case? Uh, I mean, when, when, when you look at him, um, 
he spent what seven years in Tampa, including winning the Stanley Cup. Yeah. He was in Vancouver for one year with a really bad it's, team where yeah. he didn't <laughs> want to be. Um, and he basically left Vancouver, uh, is my understanding, rather than the other way around. Uh, and then he joined Columbus uh, after they started the season 0 and 7 under the previous coach. And he's been there for five years, is it? Um, yeah, and years. I don't hear anybody complaining about him. In fact, he won the Jack Adams Trophy as Coach of the Year while he was yeah. in Columbus. Um, that was two years ago. And uh, I don't see him wearing out his, his, his welcome. Uh, his, his style definitely has mellowed, shall we say, over, <laughs> over a few years. Uh, yeah. When you see him yelling and screaming and ranting and raving, now it's likely to get the officials rather than his players. I don't remember seeing him actually raise his voice to a player uh, coming off because of a bad shift. Yeah. Um, I've seen him give players coming off after a bad shift the cold shoulder. No, 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 go sit down there next to the backup goaltender because, dude, uh, you're not going out anytime soon. Uh, that shift was so bad. Yeah. You, need to, you need to go sit in the corner and think about what you did, young man. Um, but uh, that's, that's more his style now than giving somebody an earful uh, when they come off. Um, and uh, the, the bookies, back to Vegas, uh, the bookies uh, give Toronto uh, the edge. Yeah. Um, I don't. I really don't. A lot of it is going to be uh, which team um, uh, establishes their style of play. Yes, that's uh, very true. You know, in, if Corpusalo is in goal and Toronto can come out and light them up five to one or five to two in game one, uh, and then Elvis comes in cold in game two and loses, say, six to four, um, it, Toronto definitely is in the catbird seat. There's no question about that. Yeah. Um, but if uh, Elvis or Corpusalo uh, starts and uh, establishes a wall um, and Anderson is Anderson, um, then, you know, we could be looking at a 4-2 Blue Jackets game. Um, yeah. You know, we, we not just Wierenski putting in goals, but uh, you've got... Uh, Benstrom, uh, you know, potential to put in some points for you. Uh, you know, the, the, the Blue Jackets, uh, 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 they've, got, they've, got some, they've got the potential uh, to put in some goals. It's yeah. there. Uh, you know, they, they really do have some players who, who, who can score. Uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois. Uh, oh, Dubois, Josh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's come so far. Um, you know, uh, he ended up with, with uh, oh, um, what did he end up with? Uh, a year ago, he had over 60 points. Uh, this past year, he, um, uh, he topped um, 49 points in 70 games. Yeah. Not great. Uh, 18 goals. Not, you know, not, not. Not Maple Leaf standard, you know, no. <laughs> I mean, uh, but uh, it, he, he plays hard. He plays physical. Yeah. He puts himself in position to succeed. He puts his teammates, his line mates in position to succeed. Uh, Gus Nyquist uh, picked up off the, off the trash heap, basically. Chips in 15 goals at 42 yeah. points. Um, you know, Wierenski with his, with his 20 goals. Uh, Bjorkstrand, 21 goals. Yeah. Um, you know, there are some guys on the Blue Jackets who can be opportunistic. 
uh, and 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 take those uh, those points away. And Especially with the defense, the defensive system that Tortorella puts together too. I mean, they can beat the the bigger offensive teams with just a system too. So, oh, you takeaways, for example. Um, uh, I don't have the stats up on a screen in front of me, but uh, uh, takeaways in the defensive zone, takeaways in the neutral zone. Uh, Columbus's uh, defensive group and their forwards uh, work together so well to get the puck back, uh, to to take possession of the puck, uh, to limit the shots against. Um, they did they did a really nice job of that uh, this past year. And this kid Foudy, you know, I mean, is he going to be, is he going to make people say, Artemi Panarin? Who's that? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Maybe not, maybe not this, maybe not this summer, but <laughs> maybe in a couple years. Maybe a few um, years, yeah. Yeah, they've got, they've got a few other in the pipeline that, that look really good. And, you know, people, people talk about, oh, well, the Columbus Blue Jackets goalies don't have any postseason experience. They don't have any NHL postseason no, experience, that's right. Matthew. Uh, Elvis has 50 games of playoff um, experience in the Swiss A League, the top Swiss league. Uh, Corpusalo has, I think, four games in Finland and nine in the American Hockey League. So his body of work in, in postseason series is not nearly as strong as Elvis. Uh, possibly another reason why why Merce Lickens might get the the call to start game one um, because he's been under that pressure before and yeah. he was uh, he did uh, the in the Swiss League the goalie of the year award is called, named after Jacques Plant uh, the, the great uh, French Canadian goaltender and uh, he won that twice eh. oh well pretty good you know, that, <laughs> you know that's 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 the Swiss version of the Vezina Oh, yeah, right. I, I've got yeah. a couple of those. Uh, I don't remember where they are. I think they're in a box in the attic somewhere. <laughs> they don't really count now that I'm in the NHL. But he does have those trophies. That's and he pedigree, does yeah. have, you know, I mean, what's better? Walking in with 50 games of non-NHL playoff experience um, or being, being Frederick Anderson and coming in with NHL experience that amounts to losing six of seven series. No, I I don't know. I take the success. <laughs> yeah, you know, I I I'm I'm kind of I'm, I'm kind of thinking that Anderson. He, yes, he has NHL playoff experience, but not much of it was good stuff. No. And the you thing know, is that, and that's the thing with goaltenders, their uh, psyche can get rattled pretty easy for, um, you know, if something starts going the wrong way and just, stuff just gets pushed back uh, in their mind and. I know already from from Pasper with Roberto Luongo in Boston. I mean, he couldn't play well in Boston no matter what he did. So, it, history does matter. Uh, and this is where we have a little footnote note that says, "See Bobrovsky." <laughs> uh, his two Vezinas, okay, great. Um, but uh, the only playoff series that he was on the winning side of was that sweep against Tampa last year. Yeah, um, and um, he was he was he was pretty good in that series. Yeah, he was pretty yeah. good in that series. He wasn't outstanding. Uh, game one, the Blue Jackets were down three nothing. They were losing the game three nothing in game yeah. one, and then they come came back to win the game four three. Uh, yeah, you know, and and that's that's yeah, you know, that's that's kind of a big deal. Um, 
and it, that's a lot more than just Bob settling down and shutting them out for the rest of the game. Um, that's about uh, uh, turnovers. That's about takeaways. That's about keeping possession. That's about shots on goal. Um, and when you start looking at the fancy stats, as we like to call them, of course, I Fenwick, uh, PDO, things like that. Yeah, yeah. When you know, when you start talking about not just shots, but attempted shots, and the difference between uh, you know sh all attempted shots and shots that are not blocked that actually you know get get through to the goalie. Um, uh, Columbus actually had better numbers than Toronto did in right. terms of what percent of their shots actually got through and were not blocked. Uh, and Columbus had much better stats when it came to actually blocking shots. Yeah. Uh, they were one of the top shot blocking teams in the league, statistically, I, I do believe. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, this is, this, if I had to, even if I wasn't a Blue Jackets homer, um, I would say if there was one series in the East that I would want to watch, this would be it. Yeah. I'd want to see Austin Matthews uh, and John Tavares just try to, to power their way to, you know, a high scoring series that they win in a sweep uh, versus the Blue Jackets just knuckling down and saying, not tonight. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. Yeah, we could talk. We could talk all day about uh, a lot of these series, and um, probably like two, three minutes le left in in the segment here. And I just want to see, like, so what's your prediction, or the bit? I'd say maybe like a a bold prediction for the playoffs in general um, from you. Um, the, well, you know, if if we if we look at Vegas, my bold prediction is the Rangers in five games. Uh, mm -hmm. Uh, that would, you know, that would defy the odds. Uh, that would defy the the betting uh, lines. Um, uh, but I would also suggest that maybe, just maybe, possibly, we're going to be looking at um, somebody coming out of nowhere to be uh, a, a scoring machine. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't, I, I, I'm. I think that might be in the West. I won't give a specific matchup, mm -hmm. but I think in the West there are some 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 young players and some underrated players who might just take the bull by the horns and say, "You can whack and slash and chop me all you want. I'm screening your goaltender. I'm yeah. going to be in position for that tip. I'm going to be there for the rebound. You can you can put your 225 pound monster defenseman leaning on me all you want, but I'm just going to dig in my skates and stay here and I'm going to pick up my points and everybody's going to look at me and say, wow, I hope he's in a contract year. <laughs> That's very true. Yeah. So, I know you uh, also wanted to talk about the Brock Bozer, uh, oh, the potential for that. Uh, that's a whole other can of worms. <laughs> you know, it just look at the, look at who has, who has the cap space for him. I, I, yes, Vancouver is in a world of hurt, but so are 26 other teams. That's, yeah, that, yeah, that's a discussion for another episode, that's for sure. <laughs> wow. I, it just, you know, I mean, there are so many teams that are in such bad shape when it comes, because it's a flat cap. Yeah. Um, I have, wanna, what, can I make one more quick comment, sure. Matthew? <laughs> I, I have to go on record as saying I think that the NHL went with 24-team uh, 
playoff or postseason, shall we say, including the qualification round, the 24 team uh, set up um, strictly because there were so many TV contracts to fulfill. Uh, yeah, so it, it's probably true. Yeah. And, and you know, you want to keep, you want to regain uh, the ho hockey audience. And this year, of course, they won't have much competition uh, as they drift into August and September. We're not looking at preseason football. We're not looking at, well, we may not be looking at NCAA football. Mm -hmm. um, baseball's not really going to be there, maybe. Uh, but I would like to see them just play this out all the way through uh, uh, the, the full three rounds of seven, the way it's set up now, award the Stanley Cup, no asterisk after it, yeah. and then maybe have a 48-game 2020-21 season that ends with the Stanley Cup being awarded in June. So that yeah. then we have a normal offseason, a normal preseason, and the 2021-22 season starts in October 2021. Uh, I hope that we can, we can shorten the the next regular season enough to get us back on track uh, and, and get us out of this funk. But um, God willing, COVID's not going to have anything else to say about the I NHL hope, this I year. Hope not. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's been a great discussion with you, Pete. I uh, hope to have you on another episode and I'll let you have the floor for any upcoming articles you got. Uh, I'll just let you uh, just shamelessly plug those. Oh, wow. Um, shamelessly plug my, my <laughs> articles that are coming up, like the one that comes out this afternoon, where I talk about the Blue Jackets big job is to, uh, is to stop the, the, uh, um, the big lines or the big five, the five fantastic forwards, as I call them, or fantastic five for um, uh, the Maple Leafs. Um, I've uh, got a column up uh, talking about how the success last year against Tampa Bay is the blueprint for the Maple Leaf series. Uh, got an explanation about how round two of the NHL draft lottery uh, is the mechanics of how that's actually going to work yeah. and how stupid I think that is. I, I'm not <laughs> sure if I mentioned that or not, but you know, the fact that if, if they lose in the qualification round, the 86-point Penguins would have the same chance as a team that scored, you know, or that earned 73 points in the regular season. Yeah. Every team that loses in the qualification round, regardless of how they played in the regular season, they all have a 25.5, one in eight shot of getting the first overall pick in the yeah. draft lottery. Huh? Yeah. Anyway. It, that's another, again, <laughs> another big thing to talk about. But uh, yeah. So yeah. Thanks Pete for coming on. Uh, it was great, great talking with you and uh, you can, Get uh, articles on hockey writers. Um, he's a prominent writer there. And uh, thank you again for coming on. Thank you, Matthew. And good luck editing down this interview to fit in your time slot. <laughs> I guess. Thank you. <laughs> I'll talk to you soon. Take care, right. my friend. Be safe. See you later. All right. You too. Thanks, Pete. And thanks to all my guests today. That was some great conversation about the Canucks and about the NHL return to play. There'll be a lot more of that coming up, I'm sure. Uh, with everything getting ramped up again after we've had basically another offseason uh, before hockey gets going again. And it's going to be a very different atmosphere, very different uh, type of hockey coming up. I'm sure it'll be very intense anyway, um, because everyone's probably fit, uh, especially with their working out. And uh, But it will be an interesting few weeks of hockey, that's for sure, with all the games coming up, uh, probably five a day. So it's going to be very good. Um, next next week we'll be talking more Canucks of course 
with a few different guests. And we also will be talking the NHL uh, draft with Eddie over at the Hockey Writers. Uh, he writes primarily for the Anaheim Ducks. And uh, he does a lot of prospect work and NHL draft work. And he's part of the team of writers that cover the draft along with myself and uh, our leader, uh, Josh Bell, over there at the Hockey Writers, too. So look forward to that. Uh, we'll, we'll be getting some uh, analysis of the different draft uh, picks that he's thinking of the top five. So it's going to be a very good conversation with him. I want to thank my guests again, uh, Sean and Malcolm from Area 51 Hockey and uh, Fantu Abbey um, on Twitter and also uh, Pete Bauer over at the Hockey Writers. And thanks all. And I hope you guys can come on the show again because it was very fun uh, talking with you and uh, exchanging notes on the different uh, things that we were doing through the NHL and the Canucks. So um, look forward to that, everyone. And thanks for listening, Canucks Nation and hockey lovers. Stay in hockey. Let's do that hockey. <laughs> hey, see you later, everyone.